Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. This church is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting this morning. We come from a religious heritage where historically we speak of the divine spark within every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please join me in saying our chalice lighting words. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. I'm Dwayne Windham, your lay leader for today. And when Meg asked me and told me about the subject of the sermon, I wondered if it was solely to get me here through both services, because I needed to hear it twice. (laughs) Forgiveness isn't exactly my strong suit, as evidenced by the first reading I suggested, which included a large portion of the lyrics from the Dixie Chicks song, Not Ready to Make Nice. So instead, I have a couple of selections for you. Sincere forgiveness isn't colored with expectations that the other person apologizes or change. Don't worry whether or not they finally understand you. Love them and release them. Life feeds back truth to people in its own way and time. From Joan Barsenko. The second is from Sarah Patterson. Forgiveness is not the misguided act of condoning irresponsible, hurtful behavior, nor is it a superficial turning of the other cheek that leaves us feeling victimized and martyred. Rather, it is a finishing of the old business that allows us to experience the present, free of contamination from the past. When someone wants to know what this congregation is all about, we can say, at First UU of Austin, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Amen. The poet Leonard Cohen writes, You can add up the parts, but you won't have the sum. You can strike up the march, there is no drum. Every heart, every heart to love will come, but like a refugee. Ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. One of the things that church is for is for preaching liberty to the captives. For binding up the brokenhearted. One of the things that makes us captive is the sense that things should be perfect, that there shouldn't be a crack in our relationships. If mistakes have been made, that means things are less than what they should be. Every heart to love will come, but like a refugee. It seems that some of us try everything else first before we try love. 
We live in the land of perfection for a little while, but then we are driven out from that land. Sometimes we go from the land of perfection to the land of control. If it can't be perfect, by golly, I'm going to make it as perfect as I can make it. Sometimes after we get very tired in the land of control, we go to the land of despair. Nothing's going to work out anyway. Why get your hopes up? (sighs) Some people in the land of despair get cynical, which is fun. (laughs) You get to say things like, No matter how cynical I get, I can't keep up. (laughs) But it gets a little dull after a while. If it's not dull to you, it's dull to everyone else around you. (laughs) Then sometimes we come to our spirit's home, which is the land of love. Sometimes we can't stay there. We are there temporarily, and then we leave again, and then we come back. To the land of love, if you're lucky and blessed, you come back over and over again after trying perfectionism, control, despair, cynicism, you come back to love because really it just works best and that's how we're built. We're built for love. So, come home. So, how do we live in the land of love, how do we live with, with the cracks in our relationships? How do we live with the cracks in our expectations of our own selves and our and behavior and how we're going to handle things? How do we live with the cracks in our experience of church when it breaks our heart? How do we live with that? And one of the ways of living with the cracks in the land of love is by practicing forgiveness. We practice forgiveness. All the religions of the world recommend it. Unitarian Universalism certainly does. Sociological and medical studies suggest that forgiveness is good for your health. It can be a a path, an element of emotional healing, mental healing, physical healing, institutional healing. Forgiveness is that powerful. One of the reasons that not forgiving is bad for you is that you get held hostage by your resentments and you can imagine your emotional scars um, like those monstrous vines in the fairy tales just wrapping around you and choking the breath out of you, holding you motionless. And um, one of the fun uh, elements of being held hostage by your the, your scars is that you, while you're not moving, you can be watching a movie, and the movie is of, um, of what happened. You watch the wrong over and over again, and you, you wait for the apology. So let me parenthetically say, when I talk about wrongs done, some people are going to think about a fight they had with a spouse or with a child or with a parent. Some people are going to think about a difficult boss at work. And other people are going to be picturing more heinous, more criminal 
things that have happened to them. And what I want to say is this. Uh, you don't, you're not going to have to forgive anything that I talk about this morning, of course. This is the kind of talk where I want to invite you to just let it wash over you and whatever is for you at this time will, can drop into your heart or into your head and you are the judge of that. And it is up to you and it is between you and God. And speaking of God. Now, non-believers, you can relax about this. You don't have to worry. But... <laughs> Those who are in a, some kind of a relationship with God feel sometimes that, that God has not forgiven them, um, and so they can't forgive themselves, or they're mad at God, and so they have to forgive God, but can't. Some people never thought of that before. What, me forgive God? Well, yeah. Um, the Hebrew scriptures are full of people being in faithful relationship to the divine one just by being mad at the one, at what, about stuff that happened. Because being mad is a way of believing. So, one of the things also that's bad for you about holding on to a, res- a resentment is that you are, you can be uh, in a long-term kind of angry state that doesn't have any power in it. Um, some psychologists write about that and call it impotent anger. I, I don't know. It's just anger that doesn't help you get away from a bad situation. Or it doesn't help move you to a new situation. It doesn't cook anything for you. It doesn't make anything happen for you. It just kind of grinds on and on without bearing any fruit. And I'm not going to talk a lot about anger right now, because that'll be for another Sunday, Um, but that is another reason that not forgiving is not a terribly good idea. So, forgiveness is um, recommended, because if you are in that long-term angry hurt place, it's like having a muscle that's hurt, you kind of stiffen up Around it, everybody's had an injury. Makes you kind of stiff and braced. You walk funny. You um, you are scared of being hurt again, and so you carry yourself more stiffly. That happens physically, and it happens emotionally too. And um, so, some people kind of get used to the way of carrying themselves as hurt and angry. They get used to that. Identity as the the righteous victim. They get used to that. I have been wronged. Yes, I'm the person who was wronged. That is who I am. And if you want to hear about it, I can drop into that groove of recrimination and uh, recitation just at the drop of a hat. Just say anything and I'll be back in that groove. Uh, It doesn't really even have to do with what you just said. It just reminded me. Bless our hearts. We get stuck. And we watch the movie over and over again of what happened, whether we're talking about it or not. And if, uh, see, I don't know you all well enough to know what your movie is about, so I'll just talk about mine. In the movie that you watch while you're being held hostage by your resentment, you're reciting what happened, you're watching the movie of what happened, and then 
you are um, talking to the other person about what happened. And you have exactly the right words lined up because, you know, you practiced. And um, you are articulate and calm with just the right amount of edge. Perfect, really. Almost poetic. And you make your case. And in the end of the movie is the best because in the end of the movie, they get it. And they go, I was so wrong. I, I don't know why I didn't see it before. How, in the really good movie, they go, I was so wrong. And you, you were so right. Mm. We can learn a lot about our resentments by the people we choose to tell about them, the people we choose to tell those stories, um, especially when it's fresh. And there's really nothing wrong in this because if we do it in good faith in order to move ourselves forward, it's, it's perfectly fine, um, in my opinion, to tell people what happened. Um, but just watch, just notice who you tell, whom you tell. Notice, um, because some of your friends have very satisfying reactions, and you know this, and you know they're going to go, oh, no. They did not say that. Other friends, unfortunately, will be reasonable with you. Those are ones you choose to tell when you're ready to move forward. Sometimes with your spouse, your partner, your family, you've got to tell them which uh, position you want them to take. You can say, I'm going to tell you what happened, uh, but I, I do not want you to be reasonable. <laughs> Just be on my side. And so then you can tell them, they can go, oh, those rats. Let me know when you're wanting me to be reasonable, because i got some suggestions. One of the problems with um, not forgiving is that for some of us, being wronged makes us righteous. Being a righteous victim is such a well-worn role. It's a familiar role. It's a role we've watched other people play. Um, sometimes you can make people do stuff for you when you're the righteous victim, and um, Righteousness of any kind is the root of all evil. I may have told you that before. If you start feeling particularly righteous, you're probably about to do something heinous. <laughs> so let a little red flag go up. Say to yourself a couple times, I could be wrong, I could be wrong. Many people are completely justified in feeling like a righteous victim. Absolutely justified. Now, so what? You may want to move on anyway. Course in Miracles, which some of you have studied, says you can either be right or you can be happy. I don't really like that that much. (laughs) 
So one way of letting go of a resentment is um, to begin to forgive. And to begin to forgive, what you have to do is you have to become willing to begin to forgive or to become willing to become willing to begin to forgive. It's a step. A Jungian analyst and uh, writer, Clarissa Piccola Estes, says that if you, if you think of forgiveness as a one-time act, it doesn't seem really possible, but it's not a one-time act. The only thing to do is to begin when you're ready and then to continue. And if you can do a 95% forgiveness, you're a saint. And if you can do 75%, you're doing wonderfully well. 60% is great. Begin and continue. And for some people, temperamentally, forgiveness is kind of easy. Maybe you're a little ADD and you can't really hang on that long. (laughs) It doesn't mean you're a better person than someone for whom it's temperamentally difficult. Just begin and continue. The way she says to begin is just to give yourself little vacations from thinking about it. That when it comes in your mind, when you drop into that groove, when you begin to tell the story, you just go, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm going to gently bring my attention back to something else. Just going to forego thinking about it. And then the next step is to forbear. You... uh, you begin to try to kind of understand where they were coming from. Maybe they were having a bad day, or maybe they're mad because their uh, their eyesight is failing, or maybe they're mad because they, you know, they they were in a fender bender, or maybe they're somebody told them too much truth and they're upset. To forego and then to forbear, and then to begin to forgive. To begin to um, unplug them from your energy grid or evict them from your head or let them let them down from carrying them on your back. All of those pictures have to do with us being burdened by the one who hurt us. We're burdened by the one who hurt us, but it's kind of up to us when to let them down, when to stop carrying them around. Several years ago, I read a book called Loving Kindness by Sharon Salzberg, and in it, she, she um, has a Buddhist loving-kindness meditation. And really, I had come across this loving-kindness meditation before. I had a friend who was in the 12-step program, and she told me about something called a resentment prayer. Um, everyone called her Dorothy. So Dorothy was talking to me about the resentment prayer, and she said, oh yes, you you practice this prayer, and you pray for the other person everything that you want for yourself in your own life. And um, I had a a little sister at the time who was uh, about the age of my children, because my dad got married again, and he married a a woman who was younger than, than I, and had started having children at the same time I was having children, and so... His first daughter was a premature baby, so he felt really sorry for her at first, but then she turned into this freakish genius, and um, she was reading by two and a half, you know, the pamphlets in the medical office, and uh, <laughs> understanding them, and then she, you know, she learned French one week in France, and uh, 
German when they went to Germany and Italian when they were in Italy. If she could just basically like pass somebody on the street and speak their language after they. Ugh. And she's beautiful. I know. Thank you. Yeah. So. So Dorothy was saying, you have to pray the resentment prayer for her because I've been going, rah, 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 rah. she's such a genius. So I started praying that prayer for her. I was like, please bless her and help her be healthy and help her have enough money and help her have good friends and help her feel good about herself. No, 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 no. And then uh, I had to quit because it was starting to work. <laughs> I picked it up again, you know, every now and then. Dorothy would bug me about it. And she's, you know, because she was all like praying it for her mother. And um, Dorothy had said to her sponsor, I don't want to pray this for my mother. My mother bugs me. And I wouldn't be able to mean it if I prayed that. And she said, and then my sponsor said to me, Dorothy, you're a drunk. God forbid you should be a hypocrite. Anyway, uh, as it turns out, the Buddhists have discovered this many years ago, which they always do, and, um, but they never say, I told you so. And for them, it's called the meta-meditation, the loving-kindness meditation. And here's how it goes. You say, may you be free from danger, may you be mentally happy, may you be physically happy, may you have ease of well-being. There are different forms of that, but that's the one I use. So, to close this sermon, I would like to say this several times together with you. We say this for ourselves first, and if you're really doing a meta-meditation practice, then you say it for six months for yourself before you even move on to anything else. So right now we're just giving it a tiniest little whiff of a try. So I'll say the line and you say it after me if you choose to. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. Now for the second time through, we say it for somebody we love. Got somebody in mind. Here we go. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. And now we pick out somebody that we could we're neutral about and kind of take them or leave them. Don't look around, but um <laughs> Just think about somebody kind of neutral about. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. When you get really advanced, you begin to say this for someone against whom you have a resentment. 
So we're just going to try it to see how it feels. If you have somebody in mind, again, don't look around. If you have somebody in mind, um, that is very good. If you can't think of anybody, just pick a politician of some kind. <laughs> May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. That's how we do it. I will look forward to hearing how it goes for you. If you want that prayer, just email me and I'll email it back to you. Hi, my name is Gary Bennett. When Amy and I, by the time we had moved to Austin in 2005, we'd already narrowed our choices for a new UU home to two possible churches. In the end, we settled on First Church, and a major reason was its size. We'd had a whole career's worth of experience at our last church in Pennsylvania 32 years ago. Mostly it was good, mind you. But the fellowship was small enough that everybody had to pitch in, or things just didn't get done. So, six years ago, the idea of a retirement church sounded pretty good. This church had been doing quite well with, without our time or money all this time. Thank you. And they should certainly be satisfied with whatever we were willing to add. We could cut back on our pledge and we could let younger folks do all the heavy lifting. After all, First Church was rather large by UU standards. Third biggest in the district, they said. Had been growing all along, and located in liberal and booming Austin could be counted on to continue to grow. And something we could appreciate from our previous church, lots of assets and no mortgage. They were even entertaining plans for building expansion. There was no escaping the conclusion First Church of Austin was just too big to fail. <laughs> so, how did all that work out? <laughs> Three years later, we had declining membership, dropping income, quietly put the building plans on hold. Then we dismissed our minister in a divisive vote that seemingly left half the congregation not speaking to the other half. This was familiar. This was crisis time. I still maintain it wasn't all our fault. <laughs> but all the bets were off and the church could have imploded. But it didn't. As the saying goes, a crisis may offer danger, but also offers opportunity. Lots of people stood up. We stepped up. The congregation went into rescue mode. 
an emergency extra canvas. Sessions in which we learn to listen to one another, to build bridges with one another, to develop a vision and a mission statement. There were two badly needed years of interim ministry, one for healing and one for learning again how to look to the future. We had a long, careful search for a new minister. And three years after things fell apart, we've come a long way. Our new beginning is based on being a caring community. I think we have all seen by now, those of you who are squeezed in, that uh, Reverend Meg can be counted on to be packing in and wowing the visitors, and then it's up to us to make them feel at home and to teach them a form of membership that involves more than taking up space on Sunday mornings. And doing all this is a lot lighter when everybody shares in the job. Looking ahead, we can foresee so many new members of our community that we don't know where to put them all. And that's when we start digging out those plans for building expansion. But none of it works without all of us contributing as we can in time and money. For the community of First UU Church of Austin is more than just another good cause to be supported like public TV and radio or charities or political causes dear to our hearts. Though Lord knows these may be worthy too. But we are a community with a mission statement to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice, a ridiculously difficult endeavor that will absorb everything we have to put into it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And sadly, it cannot succeed if you're relying on someone else to take on all the burden. As Amy and I have learned in the last six years, too big to fail doesn't work unless maybe you're a Wall Street bank. <laughs> we are in the wrap-up stage of the yearly canvas. For over a month, the stewardship table has had table has had a table on Sundays in the gallery for your convenience and pledging. Today will be the last day. If you've not pledged yet, visit the table today if you can. If you can't, but you have been contacted by a canvasser, please respond to that person and have a truly enjoyable interview. And there's a deadline. Though the church never stops accepting donations, in my experience, anything which has not been pledged by the time the board uh, meets this month cannot be part of planning next year's program. And there's one final thing. Act now and your money will be doubled. Thanks to an anonymous donor. Thank you. And so may you be blessed. And so may you go out from this place and be a blessing. 
Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.